Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pine Lander Podcast. My name is Paul LeFevre. I'm here with my ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. We also have uh, given the uh, near uh, recognition signal to Pete Moss. We brought him into the G-Base. And we also have a special guest uh, just kicking off this year with a bang, and that is Nick Lavery. Uh, if you don't know, if you never heard of him, you should have. Uh, Nick is one heck of a mile American. He's a man um, among men. Uh, he got hurt really bad in Afghanistan, uh, but that didn't stop him. Uh, he continues to serve and, and also continues to be a mentor, an encourager of not only men inside and outside the military, uh, but it's, it's a great honor to have Nick on the podcast today. Welcome, Nick. Hey, boys. Good to spend some time together. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really looking to... Um, all the awesome things that uh, you've experienced and really how to, how to package some of those things uh, to our listeners. And uh, uh, for those of you who don't know who Nick is, Nick is uh, currently a, a warrant officer uh, in the Special Forces. Uh, formerly, he was uh, 18 Bravo. Uh, while he was serving in Afghanistan, uh, he had a, a green on blue incident uh, where he was severely injured uh, and lost a lot of his uh, right leg, and uh, which I know he'll talk about, but but that didn't stop him. Uh, normally, that would uh, that would kill a lot of men. That, that would stop. <laughs> that would stop most people. Yeah, that that would really stop a lot of guys. <laughs> but uh, uh, in a lot of ways, that kind of brought out. You know, they say war just brings out the worst and best in everybody, and I think in a lot of ways that brought out the best that uh, we see in Nick. And so uh, he's, a, he's a great man, uh, also a leader of men. And not only did he survive that, but he went on to uh, successfully complete uh, the Special Forces uh, dive uh, course, which I would never even try. With two legs. And, with two legs. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you know, I could only say good things about you, Nick. Um, and again, welcome. And Maybe I guess the the best way to start this off is uh, just you know talk about your your story. Yeah, no, no problem, man. I appreciate that uh, that introduction. I'll, I'll just kind of go from from the beginning, man. And I'll, I'll pause, you can dive in a little deeper, wherever you want. But awesome. Uh, originally from from Massachusetts, born and raised, and I began looking at the military as as kind of an option. And my sophomore year of high school, really as a result of, of lacking any kind of direction, uh, was a horrible student. I was a pretty good athlete, but other than that, I really didn't have much going for me and no idea what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be respected. I knew I wanted to be strong and tough. And I, I decided then that maybe in the Marine Corps would be my option. So actually, I met with the Marine Corps recruiter my sophomore year. And he's like, yeah, man, cool. Great. You know, graduate high school and 
come back and see me and we'll get you in. So I had, I had kind of a game plan in place. And really the only thing that stopped that from happening was I, I started getting recruited to play football uh, at the collegiate level. So ultimately I went down that road. Uh, I went to UMass Lowell division two program to play ball. And my sophomore year of college was nine 11. Mm. And, you know, a moment that, all of us that were old enough at least to appreciate the gravity of what was happening, a moment that no, none of us will forget, the moment in time where you'll know it, you remember exactly where you were uh, in that moment. And for me, you know, I, I began, I was walking to class, which was kind of rare for me, honestly, walking to class and, and the entire student body is, is walking back towards the dorms. And I, you know, I stopped some dude, I'm like, hey man, what's going on? He's like, yeah, dude, all, all, all the classes are canceled today. And I was like, oh, perfect, because I really didn't want to go anyway. So, you know, I head back to the dorms, just figuring out how I'm going to just totally waste away another day. I turn on the television and, you know, the same thing is on every single channel. And, uh, you know, while I was certainly uh, proud to be an American back then, I don't come from a from a robust military family. I didn't have the red, white and blue coursing through my veins like I do today. Uh, but just seeing what was happening in front of me just filled me with such anger and rage that I struggled with staying in school at that point. I knew what was happening. I knew what was happening. I knew what was about to happen. And I wanted to be part of that response purely out of anger. And, you know, left that, that same day, went straight down to my advisor's office and said, Hey man, get, I need to get, I'm getting out of, I'm getting out of school and I'm, I'm enlisting in the military. And he's like, Hey, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Gave me some advice. I listened to some family and friends and ultimately decided to stay in school and, and grind out the rest of my degree. And pretty much right after I graduated was when I began looking at options to enter the military. And, you know, I knew I wanted to be in special operations. I felt that with my athletic background, that that's where I could be best utilized. But more significantly, I, I really wanted to be the greatest asset and make as much of a difference as a single person could make. I mean, I wanted to do this so I could get to the very front of the fighting and be part of that. And at, at that point, man, it was not about a career. It was not about taking this on as a profession or a lifestyle. It was purely based off of anger and wanting to go in, get to the front, kick some ass and then get out and then figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Um, wow. Yeah. As things would play out, man, you know, once I finally got in and started playing this game, that's really when I fell in love with it. And then I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's definitely inspiring. Uh, I remember when I was uh, uh, on September 11th, I was fast roping and it was very confusing. Yeah, but you're right. Everybody remembers where they're at. And, and uh, yeah, I was pissed, too. So that's awesome that you, uh, you, 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 you sent trap everything you felt, and it was anger because somebody dared to mess with us. Somebody dared to attack us. I mean, that's fantastic. So, yeah, you, you didn't know you wanted to get into special ops just yet, but so where, where did you go first? Uh, how did that go once you first uh, joined up? Oh, yeah. So I knew I, I was going into special operations right okay. out of the gate. There was, there was no doubt about that in my mind. And actually, that's what uh, ultimately ended up me landing on, on the Army as a branch. 
And, you know, back then, and it's really not that much different today. When you think about who the, you know, who the baddest special operations guys are, the Navy SEALs come to mind pretty quick. And that was the case for me. And you know, I went down to the recruiter station and there were three branches in the same building, the Navy, the Marine Corps and the Army. And I literally went in that order. I walked in talked to the Navy recruiter. I said, hey, man, I want to be a SEAL. And he's like, great. Uh, we got to get you enlisted in the Navy first, and then you can request to go to Bud's and go do that thing. I said, thank you. I left. I went and talked to the Marine Corps, got the same answer. And then when I went and talked to the Army, I got a different answer. And they said, hey, we actually have this contract option known as an 18X-ray contract or a special forces recruit that gives guys off the street the opportunity to bypass the conventional Army and go straight into the special forces pipeline. So that was intriguing. Um, although I didn't make my decision right there, I went home and I started doing some research because although I had seen, you know, John Wayne and, you know, Rambo, I really didn't know what Green Berets did. I had no idea. So I started looking into that. Like, what do these guys do? How do they do it? What makes them special, unique? And I was, I was interested in, in our mission set. And pr predominantly that being unconventional warfare. And when I began to unpack what that means and what that entails, uh, that's ultimately what facilitated my decision. And it was also the fastest way for me to get into special operations. So it was a win-win. And that's ultimately the decision that I, that I made. Uh, went in, signed the contract, and then you know, I was at basic training just like a few weeks later. Let me ask a question real quick and interrupt you because it's it's funny because I, I don't think there's I don't think that's that unusual. Um, I think young men uh, look at the Marine Corps and look at the advertising, they look at the commercials and they're they're impressed and they're drawn to the Marine Corps uh, because that's the way they kind of sell themselves. Um, but when it came time when you knew you were going to go in the you were going to go in and, and serve, um, you went to the Navy. So you went over to the Navy SEALs, um, and then of course you talked to the Marine Corps. And then it was like, ah, well, you know, before I leave, let me go talk to the Army guys, okay? So it was, you know, third on your list of three. Um, but now in hindsight, you know, you made a decision, and in hindsight, you're very familiar with uh, the Marine Corps. Uh, you're very familiar with the Navy SEALs. Um, did you make the right decision, and why? Uh, yeah, it's, it's an impossible question to know the answer to. Uh, I'm sure that if... If at the time, if the SEALs had a program like the Army had yeah. that allowed me to bypass the conventional time in the Navy, I probably would have signed the contract right there and then in the room and become a SEAL. And who knows how that would have played out. Um, what I can't tell you is that I have absolutely zero regrets about the decision I ultimately did make. And, yeah, I've worked with all of the branches and all of the special operations units that we have in our arsenal and there are some amazing human beings that do some amazing things. Um, and just in generally speaking anyway, and there's asterisks all over the place here, but you know, we're all different tools to solve different problems. That's why you have the variety of special operations forces, units of action, different tools to solve different problems. And the manner in which the green berets and us and army special forces solve problems and the types of complex problems that we're thrown against uh, is, is very interesting to me. 
and it's a uh, it's a mission set that I that I really enjoy. So was, I couldn't imagine going back and doing it any other way. It was just a really, good fit, regardless of how things would have played out. Yeah, it's just a really good fit for you in hindsight. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the fact that um, there's a difference and that they all have slightly uh, different ways that they go about their missions, and I think that's important for uh, that are people that are considering that that this line of work. I'm also so um, happy that the Navy. To my knowledge, has yet to figure this out because uh, I think X-ray actually now I, awesome. I think they do have a program. <laughs> really, uh, I think the Navy does have a program, um, which I don't think it's anything too new. I think it came out like a decade ago. Mm. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure the Navy does have an option similar okay. to the 18X-ray yeah, that, that gives people off the street the chance to do the same thing. Yeah, well, they, let's not broadcast it too. <laughs> well, they, you know, they, they, you know they, they're losing people like Nick Lavery, uh, yeah. and, they, and they finally figured it out. They're like, man, you know, we need uh, we don't need to be turning these dudes over to uh, other branches. Yeah, so you you uh, you know you ran to the sound of the guns. You know you you wanted to uh, make an impact, as you said. You know, and uh, fight for your country. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, this is. This is a story we've heard a lot, uh, but I mean, your stories, it goes from there. Where, where do you go? I mean, you went through, let's see, uh, 18 Bravo course. Uh, and yep. then, so yeah, come in and it's just, you know, basic training, airborne school selection, the special forces qualification course within that is the MOS specific training. So for me, it was 18 Bravo, the weapons and tactics guys did that, graduated the course, Showed up to my unit, which at the time was third group out of Fort Bragg, uh, got to the ODA and, you know, I was in Afghanistan on my first deployment, probably six months after that. Mm. Um, and really, like I said, it was, it was actually during that time in Afghanistan on my first rotation is when I just couldn't imagine doing anything other than this. So even though I still had, I think two, maybe three years left on my contract, I actually reenlisted for another six on top of that. So the the decision was made at that point that this is, this is no longer a job for me. This is no longer like a short term thing or like a lily pad to jump off of towards the next thing. This is, this is my lifestyle and I'm going to commit myself to it. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause you, I mean, what was it the, uh, that decided for you, the, uh, uh, the manner of operation that, uh, the way group does war. I mean, this was, you know, obviously, or was new to you, uh, but or just the camaraderie of the team. What was it that that really sealed the deal for you? Yeah, you man, it was, it, was, it was a few things. It was a few things, brother. It was, I mean, one just the 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 capacity of of man that I was working alongside of and my teammates, um, particularly the seniors, that mm. I was just consuming so much knowledge from. Yeah, as a tactician and as a marksman and, the, you know, these war fighting functions, but just as a as a human, as a as a man, I was I could I could see myself and feel myself developing mm. every day that I was spending with these guys. So th- th- there was certainly that. Um, and then, you know, the manner in which we were conducting operations, you come into this line of work and it's mostly the cool guy stuff, the high octane, the jumping out of planes and blowing shit up and kicking down doors and shooting bad guys in the face and, and that type of thing, which is typically what drives most of us to want to become a member of the special operations community. But I was also, in addition to those things, I was exposed to just a variety of other types of missions 
and ways to solve problems that I did not even think was in the realm of what Green Berets did. I mean, in this first deployment, we were spent most of that time down in Kandahar over the course of nine months. I mean, we were doing everything from getting into up armored gun trucks with machine gun barrels sticking out all over the place and, you know, military combat uniforms to being in a soft skin, unarmored Toyota Corolla driving through downtown Kandahar in local attire. So just like the range of things I was doing and being exposed to was really captivating. And I was like, Oh my God, man, there's like a whole nother dimension of tactical tasks and mission sets here that we do that I was not thinking about whatsoever. Um, that we do. And it, it's, it's part of our responsibility to do that. So we have to be very broad and, you know, the green beret typically is considered a multi-tool. Like we're, we're, we're not typically considered the best at any one thing. We're just really good at a lot of different things, which well, is so. also why we're, you know, we've been the most requested soft unit of action in over the last 20 years. It's because of that. We're extremely diverse. Um, and we, we solve complex problems. And that's really the third, the third facet of my falling in love with it was just being alongside 11 other guys mm. and being put into a problem set that would wildly exceed the capacity of most other human beings on the planet and being told like, these are your resources. This is the problem I need you to solve. And let me know when it's taken care of. And like, that was really it. So the idea of being able to, to, to serve in a professional capacity under any kind of circumstances like that, I just didn't see as, as being possible. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, those those are a lot of the same reasons that uh, I stayed on a team, um, and I know Mike did too. Uh, just like uh, everything you said, and just the lure of that, you know, being in a place where you can make stuff happen. You know, you treat like an, and this goes, you know, without saying, uh, get treated like an adult. Uh, you're you're able to make uh, decisions that have an you know, immense strategic impact. Yeah, if you want to be uh, challenged. And you want to hang out with a lot of really, really cool people, yeah. and you know that's that's certainly what kept me in and Paul too. So yeah, I can relate to everything you're saying. I'm glad the uh, seals didn't pick you up. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, uh, so you, you got a couple of uh, OEF tours, and then uh, you know you're you probably become the senior Bravo not too long after that. Uh, same same team, or did you get? Uh, how did that go for I you? I was on, yeah, so I switched from the first team I was on, my first rotation, uh, came back from that and did another short little stint back in Afghanistan um, on a detail with a conglomerate of different individuals and organizations, came back from that, and then I swapped uh, to a different ODA that was more direct action focused. So nice. my third trip over there, which is the trip when I was wounded a bunch of times, that was um, that was my first rotation with that ODA. So that was, uh, was that like 06, 07 when you got hurt? 12. Oh, okay, and 12. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Uh, my dates are out of whack. I got shot in 06. I think I'm having a Biden moment. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so you you've got you've had multiple rotations over there. You've gotten to see, you know, everything that can happen over there. I mean, there's there's a lot of different 
uh, like you said, a multi-tool, multitask tool. Uh, the role of special forces in Afghanistan from, you know, 01 to 21, it was, it was a lot, a lot of different stuff you did. Right. Um, hey, prior to that, if you could just describe, because uh, we did so many awesome things over there, just kind of what it was like, you know, you're in the FOB, you know, just what was that like? Uh, if you can remember, just kind of describe some of those days and what it was like and some of the challenges you had. Busy days. Yeah. Uh, Camp, uh, <laughs> Camp Brown. Long, yeah. Yeah. long days. Um, you know, not a lot of sleep, a lot of moving around. You know, my first trip, man, I was drinking out of a fire hose. You, know, I, I, you go to the go to the Q course, and I think a lot of people have this concept in mind that, you know, you go through your initial training, whether that's SEAL training or Ranger School or selection and the Q course, and like you get done with that and you've earned your Green Beret or your Trident or your TAB or your whatever, and then you're like fully operationally good to go in that capacity, which is completely and totally inaccurate. I mean, this initial training outside of assessment selection and all the soft units have them. Once you've been chosen as someone who has the capacity to become, you know, X, Y, Z, and then you go through that initial training, you're really just having a very basic foundation that's built for you to then build upon. And uh, your actual skill set as a tactician, as a Green Beret, as a as a marksman, as a et cetera, that happens once you're on the team, really. Mm. So yeah, you reach this milestone, you've earned this little green hat, it's awesome, and then you show up to an ODA, and then you realize that you're at the bottom of a brand new mountain that is intensely <laughs> steeper and taller than the one you just climbed. And it's like, holy shit, I have so much <laughs> I need to learn. Like, I don't know anything. And then that's Absolutely. why you got your teammates and your leadership. Like, those are the guys that really teach you how to function mm. as a Green Beret, how to build the house on top of the foundation that the Q course has given you. Yeah. So, I mean, my first rotation, nine months, man, I was just drinking out of a fire hose the best I could. Every day was a new thing that I didn't know. And it was like, oh, my God, I, mean, I have so much to learn. But again, it was at that time that I fell in love with this profession. So mm. I just wanted more and more and more and more and more. I could not get enough. And I found myself moving away from you know, typical hobbies or things that I would normally be reading about or things that I would be doing in my downtime and exchanging that with reading training manuals and studying my foreign language and like all these like operationally relevant tasks began to just consume me because all I wanted to do was be the best green beret I could possibly be. Mm. So, I mean, day to day over there was, it's, it's hectic. It's amazing. Uh, at times it's chaotic, but you know, that's the reality of when you, when you enter this world when you are surging in combat in those environments, that's just, that's just normal, man. You know, so what sounds wild to a lot of people now, even service members now, even shit, even green berets. Now, when I, you know, when I describe this and you guys can relate, you know, back then that was just a Tuesday, bro. Like that yeah. was just like, that was Another a Tuesday day in the office. <laughs> Another day in the office. That was it. Hey, so you, um, now you you do a lot of motivational speaking and you you talk to uh, to you know guys at all levels of where they're at you know sports military and all that stuff and uh, you know I, I got a, a little bit of this that you did in your TED talk on living by an ethos and I just ethos. wanted to make sure yeah an ethos I want to make sure we just kind of sneak that in there because I think you know you've developed this over time uh, I, maybe this is an appropriate time to maybe talk about that. 
Yeah, man. No, and I appreciate you bringing that up, dude. It's uh, it's it's just really a framework, yeah. you know. So the warrior ethos is really fourfold, and it's within the soldier's creed. It's language that's within the soldier's creed, and those four tenets are: uh, I'll always place the mission first. I'll never accept defeat. I'll never quit. I'll never leave a fallen comrade. And I mean, those words are literally rammed into your head from the minute you show up to basic training mm-hmm. during that whole indoctrination process where, you know, the army takes a bunch of humans and break them down into clay mm-hmm. to then reform you into a soldier. And a lot of that is, has to do with mantras and repetition. And so just reciting the soldier's creed and the word ethos over and over and over and over again, as I began to as I began to more deliberately answer the question as to how did I, how did you do what you did, which I was being asked thousands of times once I eventually, you know, got wounded, worked my way back onto the team, worked my way back into combat, all these things. How did you do what you did? And I began to actually analyze the answer to that question. I realized really a few things but to this point, you know, my mindset, my mentality was absolutely essential to facilitate anything that I would need or want to do on the ground. My mentality was critical. And when I began to kind of just frame out um, a model to be able to communicate to people, to assist people that are struggling with whatever the problem is, the warrior ethos is what came to my mind immediately, probably because of the way it was rammed into my head, you know, over 15 years ago, over and over and over again. So I just used those four tenets as a framework and what's great about it and the beauty about it is that although it's very militant language, aggressive military language, mission, comrade, right? Like this, these, this language that most don't use, it's, this is all translatable. This is all relatable to anybody. And I break those four principles down into essentially four words. I will always place the mission first is discipline. I will never accept defeat is resilience. I will never quit is persistence. I will never leave a fallen comrade is commitment. And when you take those four options that we have, these are nothing more than choices that are presented to us literally every single day. I think step one is recognizing that these are just simply options. And then two, recognizing when we hit these crossroads through our everyday lives is an opportunity to leverage these principles or not. But if you decide to take on this warrior mindset based off of these ideas and these concepts, I know with 100% certainty that it does facilitate achievement because that is literally what I did. It was a huge aspect of what I did to do, you know, something that had never been done before. Yeah. What I think, uh, um, this discussion really reminds me, and, and I hope it does uh, our listeners, as uh, what's at the ground floor of everything we do is a mindset. You know, there's a, there's a purpose of why we do certain things. We do things a certain way. I think that's fantastic uh, that you anchored uh, your mindset into, you know, the soldier's uh, creed, the warrior's uh, ethos, the warrior mindset. I mean, that's... A lot of the reasons why I think this could this could write, I guess where I'm going with this is this could write the ship uh, that I think, you know, we're having a lot of trouble. Uh, now, something we were talking about earlier today 
is uh, how recruitment is down. You know, we, we have Army recruiters have problems with uh, recruitment. and But something that I'm hearing you say that, uh, that helped you not only do awesome things, do your job, do awesome things, but then get back in the saddle, you know, after you were, you know, terribly wounded is this mindset, this mindset that served you. And, uh, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, think we should all adopt that. Uh, and remember, I mean, this is how we can excel. If you want to excel in the Army, you want to excel in Special Forces, you want to excel in life, you know, you got to have a mindset that you're, you're going to, you know, kick ass, you know, have a warrior mindset. So that's, that's fantastic. And the way you outline that, too, I don't think I've heard that that way. You know, discipline, resilience, uh, persistence, and uh, I think it's a commitment. But, yeah, that's absolutely yeah. at the ground floor of who we are as warriors. Uh, and we talked about this earlier. Is we're the guardians of the republic. And so the, uh, the security and safety, the future of the, of the nation depends on us, you know, having this mindset. So, um, well, here's my question, um, Nick, and I think would be, I mean, I, I would love for you to share this with us. It's like initially, you know, you get hurt. And I would really kind of like to know, like, what, what was going through your mind during that time? I mean, did you think you, you kind of figured out what, you know, that you loved doing what you were doing, you were having, you know, you want to make a career of it. Um, you're at least going to do it for a little while. Um, and you get hurt. And what's what's going through your mind? I mean, are you thinking this thing's just gone, that this, this, this opportunity, this thing that you thought you were going to be doing for a while now has been stripped from you? The short answer is, is no. At no point did I think that. Mm. From the early moments of me in the intensive care unit at Walter Reed, still fighting for my life, the decision was made, and I put that in really quotes, but the decision was made at that point in time that I was going back mm. to the exact same lifestyle, doing the exact same things that I had just left. And there really was no other option for me. Um, so in a lot of ways, I, I almost don't even look at it as a decision. I had recognized leading up to this point that not only do I love what I do, but I have a deep sense of purpose behind doing what I do. And when I say purpose, I'm talking about, you know, the, answering the question, what is your why? Or like, what is your soul pulling you towards? Like, what are you doing here on this planet? Why are you here? What's the point of all this? This is some deep philosophical type stuff. But mm. I, I was able to go down that road prior to being wounded and knowing that this is what I was put on this earth to do. I was put on this earth to be a warrior, period. Mm. I was put on this earth to pledge an allegiance to a society as the Praetorian God, which I will defend at all costs period. Like all stop, nothing further. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, I get my leg ripped off by a machine gun and I somehow manage to survive and I'm in a hospital and they're trying to save my life and my, as much of my leg as they can and all these things, I just, I honed in on that level of passion, purpose. And I had, I had such a degree of clarity behind where I needed to get back to what I needed to do. I could see it. I could smell it. I could touch it. I could taste it. It was right there. And it was like, all right, man, I have no idea how I'm going to go do this, but this is what's happening. This is what's happening. Um, and, you know, I'm really grateful for my ability to cling on to that with such a tight grip 
because you know no one no one around me really thought that what i had set my sights on was possible and certainly not practical and you know to just become really comfortable in isolation and solitude oh, yeah i had people around me all the time i had people in my corner and supporting me and helping me incredibly important part of the process but i knew deep down no one really thinks what i'm trying to do here is going to happen but i believe it and yeah i may be operating on faith meaning a firm belief in something for which there is no proof but i believe in that and i just know that if i focus and i dedicate myself entirely to this objective that i can do it i can make it possible so and i just think that that is the one thing man that kept me from going down a really negative, pessimistic, feel sorry for myself, depressed type state. I, I did not experience that, although I had countless times of frustration and doubt and failure and fear and pain. I mean, it was an emotional roller coaster. But every time I found myself going down those roads of negativity, I could cling on to this vision. And that's what kept me from going down that road any longer than I needed to, to get me back on track, suck it up. You just have to solve this problem. It's a complex problem, but complex problems are oftentimes solved by simple solutions. There is a simple solution to this particular problem. You just have to figure out how to do it. And my experience as a Green Beret, like we talked about, being put in those environments where you've got exceedingly complex problems and you got you and 11 of your buddies there to figure out how to solve it. I just leveraged what I was taught by my teammates, by my leadership. I was leveraged what I was taught. I put that into action for myself and my recovery and, you know, one foot in front of the other, man, that was, that really was it. You know, uh, what really strikes me on your story is Paul and I talked to a lot of guys that, they, they, they finally get to where where you uh, went early, but they didn't do it as early as you did in the process. They, they went through their, their life. They're doing their thing. Um, they get hit with the tragedy. They get hit with the, the setback. Uh, it could be anything, okay? It could be, you know, uh, painkillers, alcohol, bad relationships, sure. you name it. Whatever... whatever the, the, the thing is, and and they, they suffer uh, as a result of that thing, and it really is a lot of hard work for them to kind of come out of that and then find what you found early, which was, why am I here? What's my purpose yeah. in life? And when I'm listening to you is, you know, you really discovered your purpose early. So when you got hit with the with the, uh, the, the truck, okay, when you when you get when you get blindsided, you're really in a good place. I mean, you're able to kind of just like, hey, no big deal, man. Shake this thing off. I'm just, it's just another problem. I already know what, where I'm going in life. Am I, am I hearing that right, Nick? Or? Yeah, man, and you bring up a great point because, you know, the, the, the time that I was wounded when I ultimately ended up losing my leg, that was the third time I was wounded in action mm-hmm. on the same deployment. You know, I, I took some shrapnel to the back of my shoulder, um, and then about a month or so later, I – took an AK-47 around the side of the face. You know, I was able to rebound from both of those instances inside of a week. I was, you know, I was right back. Another day to, at the uh, office. To yeah. conducting operations. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, in a lot of ways, I was kind of conditioned to getting wounded 
and mm. shrugging it off and getting right back at it. And although mm. the third time was much more severe, I mean, I absolutely should have died that no. day. I still had this conditioning in my mind of, yeah, man, you've played this game before. You're going to be fine. The doctors are going to do their job. And now you need to do your job. Hey, something I, I want to chime in on this too, is uh, something we do. And, and I, I can't agree with uh, Mike any, any more than, uh, I mean, what he said, I couldn't say any better, but something we do to prepare ourselves for the fight. And, and I want you to chime on this too. Um, Nick is, you know, we, we train physically, tactically uh, to set the conditions of our success, to go out there and meet the enemy and just hurt him bad and then come back with this, with everybody, hopefully. But something that we rarely do is mental preparedness. And, and I don't know if you've seen this. I don't know if we're failing. I know you didn't individually, but Mike brings up a good point is we may be failing in this way is in light of all the, the, you know, preparations, physical preparations, tactically guns, everything's, you know, sighted in, but then, you know, we're not, we're failing like with uh, Sun Tzu. He says um, something like every battle is either fought, uh, that's fought is either won. It's won or lost before it's fought. And and uh, so the idea is, you know, you are you had already gone there in your mind that hey, look, this is a deadly business. I can get hurt. The physical, and, and this is how it is. Yeah, the physical preparedness is really. I mean, I hate, it's not the easy part, but let's let's just be honest. It's easier than the mental preparedness. Yeah, and that's where I'm, I think Paul and I are really fascinated about about yeah. you is the fact that you really did the hard work early, which yeah. is the mental preparedness. Exactly. And how does how does like a normal how does the the young warrior um, get there? Yeah, man, it's a it's an awesome question. Um, my first thought that comes to mind here, which is I'll just throw this out there, is there, there's a massive difference between exposure, experience, and expertise. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they get used interchangeably in different ways. You know, exposure being you've been around something. You've been, you've been in the vicinity of something while something was happening. Experience being you've been involved in the actual task or within the actual event. You're actually doing something within that overall experience. And then expertise comes through massive repetition con- in conjunction with both experience and exposure. So experience, exposure in conjunction with training you know, with reps, right, over and over and over again, getting it wrong a whole bunch of times and then eventually getting it right and then doing it right a whole bunch of times to develop a level of expertise. You know, I can speak for myself, man. When I, when I got to third group in 2007, at this point, you know, we're surging now on two fronts, Afghanistan and Iraq, and third group just owned Afghanistan. That's all we did. That is the only mission that third group had for most of that time frame, uh, the other groups obviously filtered in um, as well because there was just way too much work for one group to take. But when I got to group as a Green Beret, all we did was Afghanistan, and it was nine on, six off, six on, six off, back to Afghanistan, nonstop, direct action alongside a partner force. That was just what it meant to me to be a Green Beret. So I was exposed to quite a bit in training. Um, and then once I went forward and then I began to experience quite a bit, 
but it, it took a lot of reps, man, to build a level of exp- of expertise that goes along with that. And my point here is that this applies directly to our mindset and mentality the same way it does to shooting a rifle or shooting a pistol or shooting free throws. Like you just have to do it a lot. And in my case, I had some amazing human beings, brothers that were alongside me that not only helped keep me safe so that I could continue to learn the lessons, but interject guidance and mentorship and lessons and best practices Mm. to to curve that learning process as fast as possible, man. So I don't think that there is a way to speed that up or just remove the need to have to go through it. You have to go through the hell. You have to go through the experience. And if you're able to surround yourself with quality individuals that are there to support you and drive you and keep you pushing forward to navigate through it, um, I think is how you ultimately begin to develop a level of expertise. Yeah. And I think, uh, absolutely. I mean, well said, Nick, I think you're, you're, uh, echoing something that I've been chewing on for a little while resonating on is, um, life is a learning competition and Mm. you, you have to, uh, yeah, you, as you went through that, I mean, you have to go to school on yourself. And you have to, these uh, lessons that you learn, often they come uh, at a big price. And if you don't get them, then you're, they're not going to stick with you. Uh, and I think just what I'm hearing you say is, you know, get there early. Get there mentally prepared early. I mean, this. Yes. I, I love Sun Tzu, uh, Art of War. Here's another famous quote. Um, know your enemy and know yourself. In a hundred battles, you'll never, never be in peril. And, uh, you know, knowing yourself and knowing the enemy and, and that just underscores, you know, having a mindset. I mean, we, we say that a lot of people, they say, yeah, worry your mindset, worry your mindset, but they never break it down. And so, yeah. What does that mean? Exactly. Right? Yeah. What does that mean? And then how do you actually, how do you actually work? How do you get the reps in? Yeah. That, that's what, that's the space that I enjoy playing, man. And I yes. love conceptual and theory and philosophy. I love it. I'm a student of those practices. Yeah. But br- bring me down to the tactical level, right? Yeah. Bring me down to the tactical level and give me some guidance and some tools yeah. that I can actually employ tomorrow to help become stronger and better within these facets of this mindset. And that was really what was a requirement for me when I decided to write Objective Secure. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, it frames things out at 30,000 feet where a lot of personal development type products tend to end just theory and conceptual thinking and processes. I was like, yeah, I enjoy that. I think it's important, but I also need to drive this thing down to the tactical level to give the end user something that they can employ immediately following reading this work. Yeah, absolutely. You have to have application. Um, as a, as a preacher, I know that I get paid to talk. But uh, yeah, if you don't have application, then you're just giving them facts, 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 facts. So yeah, guys uh, listening, get the book, Objective Secure. This is going to outline Nick's mindset uh, as he breaks it down, like you said. Uh, I wanted to do this too, and you guys just stop me if you think I'm getting crazy here, but I get a lot uh, of uh, students that are going through the the Q course, and those, you know, a lot of our listeners are Q course guys as you may imagine, but they ask me, uh, and I retired in 09, but you, you're being a guy that's, you know, actively serving. And the new guy says, Hey, 
what do I need to know before I get to my team? You know, I'm going to show up as a new guy. And I thought, hey, this would be a great question, like a, a softball for Nick, who's used to, you know, getting hurt and you know having people shoot at him. I thought this could be pretty easy for you. Yeah, man. Um, I love this question. I could I could talk on this for literally hours. One we already talked about is, yeah, you reach that milestone of, of earning that Green Beret, and it's an amazing moment, and it's worthy of celebration. But just realize the following week, when you knock on that team room door, you are now at the bottom of a brand new mountain. Mm. So you can't ride that high any longer. It's now time to go to work and now actually begin to learn your job. And then the other thing that um, I'll hit on here is, is our, is our pride and our ego, man. It's just, it's such an important facet of us as humans. It's such an important aspect of how we make decisions, what we do, what we don't do. And this is connected to what we just talked about. Like, how do I build up a degree of, of, of mental toughness or resilience or this mindset? And, you know, you need to get it wrong a whole bunch of times and hopefully you get it wrong enough in training before you need to do it for real. That by the time it's, you t- it's time to do it for real, you've seen what wrong looks like enough to now know what right could look like. And a lot of times, man, and, and this is an interesting conversation because in today's era now where we've, you know, quote unquote, the wars are over and we're in a much more training heavy environment day to day, week to week, year to year. Then we were operationally focused, you know, back when I kind of came up through the ranks is this concept of, of training to failure. And you're hearing that a lot now from our leadership. It's like, don't be afraid to train to failure. And it's easy. It's, it's easy to say, but it's really difficult to do, um, particularly as new guys. You show up, you want to impress your team sergeant, you want to impress your captain, you want to be an asset. You have to be an asset. You cannot be a liability under any circumstances. You will be value added. You need to be confident, aggressive, all these aspects that make us great at what we do. But there's this sneaky son of a bitch being our ego that can prevent us from actually growing to the next level, to higher degrees, because it prevents us from being from our willingness to extend ourselves into the realm of where failure is almost certainly going to happen, but it has to happen. That is the point of training is that's where you learn. It's the, the failure is where the wisdom is located. And it is by virtue of doing that, that you extract that knowledge and you ran it back into your system or your SOP. And then you go again and again and again and again. So this idea of being mentally tough and resilient and getting back up and keeping moving forward, no matter what, is great. But if we don't learn the lessons that were given to us while we were on the ground, then we're just asking to repeat the same thing, like the definition of insanity, just over and over and over again. So being tough is worthless if you're not learning from the times of you being knocked down. So these new young studs that are showing up, man, you know, every, every ODA is different. Every individual is different, different personalities. ODAs can change and flow over time with different leadership that's involved and whatnot. But I just want to challenge the, the Green Beret of tomorrow that your time on the team, particularly when you're in training, that is the time to put your pride aside, leave your ego at the door, realize that no one is expecting you to know everything. In fact, no one is expecting you to know anything. 
because you're brand new. It's yeah. their job is to teach you, realize that, own that. When you mess things up, good, but own it, right? Mm-hmm. Own the fact that you mess things up. Let your teammates and your leadership guide you and mentor you to do slightly better the next time. Do that over and over and over and over again. And now you've got the exposure, the experience, and you're working your way towards some expertise. Mm-hmm. So what what I like well about said, yeah and what I like about this is it's got a, such a broader application <laughs> to the civilian sector, the corporate sector, all that. I mean, all successful people um, are used to failure. You know, they get up, they brush themselves off, and they work the problem and they hit it again. And um, and I think you're absolutely right, especially in soft when I was there, uh, myself included. Uh, the big ego, the big pride, I got the brave, blah, blah, blah. But um, it's really, it is the danger uh, and it's the impediment to greatness and it's the impediment to success. You've got to lose that fantastic advice. I mean, that is huge advice. Just get over yourself. Uh, You don't know squat and get in there with a growth mentality and listen to people that have been there, done that, and got something to offer. Yeah, man. And, you know, in a lot of ways we are set up us in this community for this to be in exceedingly more difficult than those that are in other industries and other lines of work because our aggressiveness, our competitiveness, our type A mentalities is a huge part of what makes us successful and is what makes us do well within the special operations community. It's just as a result of that, it does open up a vulnerability and that being our pride and our ego is more than likely, almost certainly going to be elevated as well alongside those other character traits that make us excel in distinction compared to, you know, the average individual. So just know that with, with the good comes the bad, there's a cost to everything. That type A aggressive hair on fire pipe hitter mentality is important, but just know that there's also this little lurking thing that's coming up along with it that is going to be arguably the greatest battle that you have to fight. And that's your ability to put that stuff aside so you can actually open up the window of learning. Oh yeah. Well said, well said. It's much easier to improve your pushups than it is to get rid of your pride. I mean, absolutely, man. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so uh, Nick, uh, we talked a little bit around this, but uh, you know, when you got hit, I mean, just so I understand this and I I haven't uh, uh, heard you say this uh, in depth, but I understand that, uh, you know, the, the, the guy, the bastard that shot at you with a PKM, uh, took off like the majority of your, your right thigh. And, um, you know, like that's terrible. And then not only that, but then you had, uh, the wrong blood transfusion. And so you've mm-hmm. got an excruciating pain. You, you're probably gonna, you're thinking you're going to die because of how somebody screwed that up. And not only that, but then here's where my question is, because I now I got shot, but, you know, I didn't go through near what you did uh, to get yourself back into combat. And I also went back into combat and I'll just exfoliate myself here. Uh, I had a little bit of work to do to get back in the saddle after I got shot and I, I, uh, I cheated death like you did. Uh, that's the way I like to say it. But uh, can you just kind of. Tell us now. I, before I ask you this, I just want to say, you know, um, I'll just echo what, what uh, I think Churchill once said that uh, 
Uh, brave man is not the one who doesn't fear afraid, but he conquers that fear. You know, and, 100%. Like, and Patton, he said, hey, look, the guy that says he's not afraid is lying because uh, mm -hmm. everybody feels some fear. And it's not just the idea is tackling it, tackling the fear and doing it in spite of it. And uh, and I had to to get back on the team, to get back in the saddle and, you know, hearing bullets and stuff. You know, I thought about, hey, maybe that's coming right for me. But I guess my question is. You know, for those guys out there that, you know, uh, this is not the new guy. This is the guy that's maybe he's been injured. Okay, maybe he's in soft, maybe he's not. But uh, And he's a guy that maybe has some trauma, right? Not mm -hmm. just the physical trauma, but he's got some soul damage, right? And uh, the body, you know, uh, has kept the score on what has happened. And what could you say to that guy um, that you already said in your book? But what could you say to that guy to kind of – you know, where did you go in your mind and your soul and your heart to, to get you back? My first question to that guy would be, what is your mission? Mm -hmm. What is your mission? Mm -hmm. When you look at yourself in the mirror and you ask yourself the question, what do you want to do? Who do you want to become? What's the answer to that? Mm -hmm. I believe that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. So Absolutely. without a defined desired end state, without a mission, chances are this individual is just going to find himself doing some things, maybe even a lot of things, but without a direction of movement, it's impossible to put together a sound strategy. And without a sound strategy, you may be doing a lot of things, but you're not necessarily accomplishing a lot of things. So, you know, we can backwards plan this whole thing out all the way down to, hey, tomorrow morning, I need you waking up at zero five and doing this one task. You can crawl walk this thing all the way back to like an instant in time from right now. But I do think it begins with, you know, what is your mission? Mm. Recognize that this is not a dress rehearsal, that this is a gift. And you have one shot at this thing and whether you've experienced some sort of trauma or injury physically or otherwise, you're still here. You're still here. And death is inevitable, right? So we don't need to worry about that. It will come to an end. You have one shot to maximize your opportunity. And as far as I'm concerned, because it is a gift um, and I've been given the gift of perspective of being as close to death as I have, as I'm sure you did as well, man. Um, I know how lucky I am. I know how fortunate I am. I know how fast life can end. I've been on all sides of death, man. I've administered it. I've seen it happen right next to me. I've been as close as it gets. Life can end at a moment. This is absolutely a precious gift, and it's one that's to be defended and maximized. You have an obligation to make this gift one of happiness and success. And why not, and through that lens, knowing these things, why not just leave it all out in the field? What do you really have to lose? And if you buy into that concept, then all roads proceed directly to defining the mission. And now we actually have a target. Now we can actually start to dig in and develop a strategy and focus a mindset specifically around that and our tactics and our objectives and our game plan and our structure and our discipline. All these pieces begin to fall into place. But none of that shit matters if you don't know where you're going. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think what I'm hearing you say, Nick, and, and it's well said, is don't lose sight of the mission. Don't lose sight of don't lose sight of the reason why you exist. If you're a warrior, and you have uh, joined the ranks of warriors as guardians of the republic to defend our constitution, all those things that you said, and if you lose sight of that mission, then you could be truly lost. Yeah, that's well said. Well said. Hey, Nick, um, from a guy that's used to getting it wrong, and from a guy that's used to falling down, and and a, and a guy who's um, sort of welcomed it and used it as an advantage uh, and learning from those experiences. Uh, in hindsight, has, has losing your leg made you a better, more complete man? Without question. Well, yeah. Without question. Yeah. Um, everything I do upright is more difficult than it would, than it, than, than it was with two limbs. Um, and it, how, then it would be if I had both right now. Everything is more difficult, yeah. but that those challenges and that discomfort are gifts. Those are opportunities. And when it comes to achievement, the size of the struggle is commensurate with the size of the goal, mm. which means that they're they're equal, and. Therefore, discomfort, struggle, pain, doubt, fear. The, when, when, when experience these things, when in route to a mission, these are indicators that we are moving in the right direction. And by virtue of you know, what happened to me and what I've been through and the things that I've you know, gone through to get back to doing what I had to do is when I learned those lessons. And it is essentially impossible to at least theory or theoretically look at the likelihood of me having gained that level of knowledge and understanding if I hadn't gone through this. So I would say without question, man, without being able to go back in time and play it out and see what it really looked like. But uh, I have zero regrets. Um, in a lot of ways, I'm really grateful for what happened because, you know, it got me to where I am today, which is a place of happiness and one of pride. Hey, that's awesome, my friend. And they say, there's an old saying, and I'm sure you know this, that uh, uh, civilians sleep well in their beds because they know uh, rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf. And so Absolutely. I am happy that you're out there. I've retired, my friend, but I'm happy that and I sleep well knowing you're out there. You're going to be cleaving people's heads in two. Uh, and then the other thing came to me was Roy uh, Benavides. He once said that uh, for those who have fought for it, life has a special flavor that the protected will never know. Mm, so, that's a good one. Yeah. So uh, I know that you've tasted uh, how good it is to be alive, serve with the guys on your team. Uh, I, for one, am a better man for having listened to you today. today. And I know the guys hey, listening are also going to get a lot of that. I appreciate you, my friend, as you go out and do great things. Hey, Godspeed to you, my friend. Godspeed to you. Yeah, likewise, guys. I appreciate the time today. Thank you guys for your service. Um, you know, those of us, I'm not so much the young buck uh, anymore. Yeah. But, um, you know, w what we do, our SOPs, the way we do business, down to the minutia, down to the procedural level, this comes off of the back end of 
you guys and then the, you know the generation before you guys and before that and it's all interconnected man mm. um we would not be where we are today as a fighting force if you guys hadn't done what you did and the same goes for the guys that came before you so it's all in, intimately connected and uh i just appreciate the sacrifices you guys made the work you guys put in um the challenges you guys navigated through because it has enabled us that are still playing this game here today mm. amen well said sir thanks nick really appreciate your time today we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Pinelander Podcast. If you enjoy our unique content, please consider supporting our sponsors. Soft News, providing special operations news from around the world. It's where Paul and I go to keep abreast of what's going on within the soft community. Check them out at soft.news. Blacksmith Publishing, been serving the warrior class since 2013. They have great titles written for warriors, by warriors, if you're looking for excellent reference material or just want to unwind with a great novel, be sure to check out the bookstore located at blacksmithpublishing.com. And if you're looking for some cool Pinelander apparel, head on over to the General Store located at pinelandergeneralstore.com. That's all one word, pinelandergeneralstore.com. Have a great selection of shirts, hats, jackets, sweaters, stickers, patches, artwork, and a whole lot more. Check out the store at pinelandergeneralstore.com. If you're interested in helping develop our country's next generation of warriors, uh, please consider donating to the American Agogi Project. The mission of the project is to foster an environment producing able-bodied citizen warrior men of fine character. And we'll be officially launching the project in 2023 in celebration of uh, Blacksmith Publishing's 10th anniversary. Until our next meeting, stay mentally and tactically smart, physically and spiritually strong, and socially astute. To each other, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. May God continue to bless Pineland.